Chapter 1. Every day aboard is two days off your life. For then, at the height of man's arrogance, he began to believe that he was able to change the whole of the world. He saw the coming floods and said, Lo, this mighty thing is of our own doing. He saw the fires and the famines, and cursed his fellow man, and said, Look now what we have done to the earth. See now how we must change our ways. Undeterred by the droning of the Pa's sermon, a tiny magfly crawled across the steel plate, two of its eight legs prodding and testing the new joint for weakness. Any break in the metal surface where it could begin to gnaw at the rich ferrous within. Jim Hatcher watched, studying the creature, his good eye squinting at the jerking mechanical movements that would reveal any flaw in his work any void or cavity in the weld bead that held fast the latest patch in the great steel patchwork that made up the ship's hull. Out of habit, he rubbed a thumb over the sooty lens of his tinkered eyeglass, but his bad eye was not much help in the gloom. But the floods and the famines were not of man's making, but of the Lord's own command and they could not be averted by any arrogance of man. The old cleric's voice had grown muffled and distorted as it reverberated up through two full decks of the ship, but Jim heard the words as clearly as if he'd been in the chapel himself beside the masters. He'd sat through the Gospel of St. Stephen more than half a hundred times now, and the sermon had etched its own groove in his mind. For it was man who, envious of God, tried himself by infernal devices to create life and so be as a God himself. But he was not God, and man could not hold sway over his creation, and so it was that the Lord called forth the sword of fire and the flood to cleanse the earth of the heresy. Frustrated, the magfly spread its tiny fibre wings and buzzed noisily away in search of an easier meal. Good. If the little creature couldn't find a mistake... Neither could the old bosun, and there'd be one less reason to add days to Jim's debt. He coughed. A harsh, barking cough. His lungs caked with the same soot that clung to every surface up here, belched from the weld torch each time the airline choked. Every day aboard is two days off your life. Jim relaxed, uncoiling himself from his perch and worming his way back into the void between the hull and the superstructure. His muscles protested angrily, stiff and knotted from the efforts of completing this twelve-hour shift in just over ten, but with the work done, he'd have time a spare to get some air and look out over Gradlon before bunk.
It took almost a quarter hour to work his way back down to six deck, stopping every two levels to lower his weld torch and tanks before scrambling down after them, sandwiched between the crisscrossed frame of the trossel's superstructure and the sun-heated patchwork of her hull. Jim wondered, as he climbed, if people had been much smaller back when the ancient ship was built, or if they too used children like him for repairs. Or machines, perhaps. They'd had machines that could do anything. There was probably a machine that would do his job, back in the old times. Jim always found six-deck eerie and unfamiliar when the engines were idle. It wasn't the stillness of the great crank. You could hardly make that out in the dim light of the lamps anyway. It wasn't even the smell. The place stank of oil and fuel just as bad even now. It was the quiet. Right now... Jim could hear barked orders on fifth deck above, and boots scurrying to obey. He could hear the spanking of air trapped in the soil pipes that pumped the crew's waste out to sea. Even the rhythmic chanting of Par Carrick blessing the ship against contamination from the many heresies of Gradlon. With the trossel underway, he'd have heard nothing. Nothing but the endless howl of engines as they shunted the great hulk through the water day after day between ports. The din was so loud, so unrelenting, that Jim and the other boys that bunked down here with the engine would be forced to go days without speaking. Sometimes it got so bad Jim couldn't even remember his own voice, nor even conjure its sound in his mind. But today, the engines were off. Today, he could hear footsteps. Behind. Hatcher. Done already. The voice was falsely kind, oily. Mike. Jim turned to see the older boy swaggering towards him, his searching eyes giving lie to the wide smile he wore. Done. No, I'm heading back up. Just came to change tanks. Jim lied. It had been a few days since he'd had cause to use his voice, and it cracked a little as he spoke. No tussle, no tussle, Mike smiled, spreading his hands innocently and signing the words as he spoke them out of habit. Just need a swap, that's all. Jim turned to his rack, hoisting his tools onto his appointed stash hook. No swaps, Mike, remember? My gear's all marked anyway. Being the smallest boy in the engineer's bay, he'd taken great pains to etch patterns into all his possessions, specifically so this sort of thing wouldn't happen. Jim flinched as Mike's fist slammed into the rack, gripping a charred weld torch. You'll just have to mark this piece of sushi too, then. He reached forward and flicked the lens of Jim's eyeglass hard. Won't you? Squint. Jim's good eye darted to the torch. The mixer valve was janky. He could see the soot and scorch marks all around the base of the grip. Getting caught with broke kit was a month extra, minimum, and that's if you managed to keep on top of your work. But he could fix it. And Mike knew it. Okay, Mike, sure. He sighed. No tussle. Mike was already unhooking Jim's good torch from the stash. Yeah, that's what I thought. Good lad, Squint. He thrust the bad torch into Jim's chest and swaggered off toward his bunk.
Jim sagged against his rack and forced his breathing back under control, wiping sweaty palms on his scorched leather bib. His mind raced with a dozen things he should have said to Mike, things he could have said if he were older or stronger. He looked at the janked torch with a sigh. It wasn't too bad. He could fix it up top while he got some air. Scrambling up into his bunk hole, Jim retrieved the small roll of tools he kept in a stash beside his pillow. Mackett squeaked excitedly when he heard the disturbance, sniffing the air and scratching at the glass of his makeshift cage. Pulling the bunk curtain shut behind him, Jim lifted the old rat out of his little nook and scratched at his neck. Sorry, Mac. No dinner yet. I'll be back later, I promise. But his words did no good, of course, and the greying rodent continued to sniff around excitedly, searching for the treat that wasn't there. Okay, okay. Tell you what, how about some fresh air? But you'll have to be quiet, or you'll end up back in the bilge. He tucked Mackett carefully behind his leather bib and swung back down from his bunk hole, clutching the tools and broken torch. There were a half-dozen open routes to top deck from here, and a dozen more that only he and the other engineers knew. Climb paths in the superstructure, or shortcuts through unpatched holes in the internal walls. Jim always preferred to stay out of sight. His deformed eye and small stature made him an easy target for the rest of the crew, and the last thing he needed was the bosun figuring out he could finish a day's work early. The first time he'd finished up before the klaxon, Way back when he was first learning the trade, he'd rushed off proudly to find the bosun and tell him. Jim cringed at the memory. Not only had his workload almost doubled, but so had the workload for half the boys on six. He'd almost gone unnoticed until then, even with the disfigured blue eye, but no longer. He'd suffered beatings for almost a month after that, an extra if one of the boys couldn't keep up and got beaten himself by the bosun. He'd learned a hard lesson that day, and so, even as the various tricks and skills of the trade had revealed themselves to him, improving his craft, he made sure to never again be caught on deck before the end of a shift. But today was an exception. Today there was something to see. Gradlon. He'd seen it only twice before. The first time, he'd only glimpsed the island's walls through a wide hole in the hull he was fixing, but then, last year, he'd managed to hide up on top deck and see beyond the seawall and into the compound itself. What he'd seen had taken his breath away. Life, as close as it came to the old times. People living, healthy and happy, away from the pains of the broken world. There were plants everywhere, and children eating from them, just pulling fat red spheres from the trees and eating them raw. The people of Gradlon smiled, and were pale, and dressed in loose clothes, not haggard, sun-cooked and desperate like the ragged folk everywhere else. And the tech. They didn't even try to hide it. There was tech just out in the streets. And not just scraps. Jim had once seen a wealthy passenger sneak down onto six deck to use a cobbled device no larger than a bowl of rice. But here, he remembered there was one piece, 
a great jagged black panel mounted to a courtyard wall that was taller than three men. He'd never seen it do anything, but the whispers were that at night it would light up and show bright pictures that could move around by themselves. Jim only half believed the rumours, but it sounded magical nonetheless. With his heart beginning to race with excitement even at the memory, Jim planned his route up top. He needed to avoid the other engineer kids and the bosun, and especially the ship's cleric. Pa Carrick would whip him for a week if he were caught looking at tech. So, he'd climb to four, then scurry down the starboard side of the hold and take a ladder to two deck. Along to the bows, and then through a rust hole, and then up top from there. That spot would be deserted while the ship was moored, and would likely give him the best view. He wasn't wrong. The sun was low in the sky when he reached his perch, and the grey-walled compound beneath him was bathed in orange light that rendered it breathtaking in its majesty. Jim closed his eyes for a moment. The wind was blowing out of the west and carrying the smells of Gradlon up to him. He smelled the plants on the sea air and cooking. Real food. He didn't know what it was, but his stomach growled all the same. Mackett smelled it too and started to scrabble at his confines. Jim pulled him gently from beneath the bib and set him down on the deck next to him. Smells good, eh? He asked as he scratched at his rat's fur. One day, maybe. Two more years and we'll be all paid up. And then we can start saving for a real meal. Think you can last that long, Mac? Jim had pulled Mackett out of the bilge when he was just a runt. Near on eighteen months ago now, and he already seemed like an elderly rat. His movements slow, and his brown fur shot through with bristly grey hairs. Jim wasn't sure he had two more years in him. Their diet of nothing but salt rice was supposedly enough to keep you alive and well, but there was a reason rich folk supplemented it with other food when they could get it. Jim loosened the string of his eyeglass and worked it free, huffing warm air onto the lens and cleaning it on the hem of his shirt. Without the protection of the glass, the warm salt air made his bad eye weep and sting, but he carried on. He wanted the lens good as new. He wanted to see everything. Gradlon was even more majestic than he remembered. The island was a full two clicks around. It would take half an hour to walk the seawall, and yet it seemed only about fifty people lived there. And most of those were servants or security. Most of the place was reserved for Lear, the rich keep whose kingdom this was, and his family. Jim thought about his own bunk hole, barely enough to stretch out or sit up in. As he stared out over the compound below, his hands worked nimbly at the broken weld torch. He still remembered, back when he was first taken on, how the gear all seemed so complicated and frightening, how he thought he'd never understand it. But now, well, now it was as easy as breathing. He found the source of the blockage, some flux crud that had made it into the methane valve. He pulled a pick from his tool roll and stripped the valve down. He'd need to make up a new gasket with scraps from his bunk, but it was an easy enough fix. Sometimes it would frighten the other boys, seeing him fix things so easy. 
They'd make the sign of the cross and sometimes tell the par who would beat him some. But it wasn't tech, just gear. No heresy. So he could only be punished so bad. If it was tech, he'd have been flogged. Or worse. Lear and Gradlon were above such concerns, of course. The tech here was out in the open for all to see, and the church could do nothing about it but stew in their righteous anger and hope that his shielding failed and the tech called down destruction upon them for their sins. But, of course, the shielding in Gradlon was second to none. Jim marvelled at the elegant cages of pure copper. You'd almost mistake them for handsome display cases or protection for the ancient relics. Armour to stop things getting in, rather than their true purpose, to stop the trace getting out. Out here in the open sea, there were raptions, hungry machine creatures, listening for any sign of the ancient tech, and even Lear and all the might of Gradlon would be powerless against them. Jim shuddered at the thought and crossed himself. Tech fascinated him, but not as powerfully as the thought of the metal monsters terrified him. He'd have thought they were just another story made up by the par, but he knew the way grown men crossed themselves whenever they saw the water move uncannily. And besides, there wouldn't be so much shielding at Gradlon if it was all just part of some hokey superstition. The rich were beyond such things. He saw some women laughing together as they strolled across the courtyard below, eating the round, colourful fruits that grew here on carefully tended trees. It wasn't often he saw women. They brought the bad luck onto a ship, something terrible, but whenever he did, he couldn't help but think of his mother back in Razine. He only had the one memory, her lifting him onto a ship full of worry and fear. But her face was always changing, a collage of features from his imagination and those he borrowed from the women he'd glimpsed on shore. Perhaps she looked like these women once beautiful and carefree and happy. No, these women wouldn't have a child like him, with a deformity. Their genes would have been fixed by a splicer generations back, and they never would have to make decisions like she had, to give your child up to a rescue ship, to burn your whole crop when the rice blight came. They were safe here, protected. He noticed one of the guards patrolling the wall near the sea gate where the trussel was moored. He was dressed all in white, in loose but well-fitting clothes. He smiled and joked with the trussel's crew as they hauled the great steel containers back to the ship, now emptied of the precious nitramite fertiliser. A weapon hung from a sling across his chest. It looked like one of the guns the deck crew carried when they were in bad waters, only this one wasn't cobbled together from scrap. This was real, a relic from the old times, like so much in Gradlon. Jim wondered how much it was worth, wondered how anyone could amass so much wealth that he could afford to hand out relics like that to his crew, rather than keeping them locked away in a vault. He tried to imagine himself atop that wall. Wearing those clothes, carrying that relic. He'd get good food to eat at night, and probably have friends too. Folks liked people like that, confident and in control. He could see it on the faces of the crew. He wondered if he'd have to bravely defend the walls against pirates and save the day 
just like in the stories. But how could you get a job like that? First, he'd have to work off his debt here, another two years at least. Then he'd start getting a wage, and if he saved up enough, he could transfer to another workship. There were better ships, working safer seas with less pirates and calmer water. He'd heard that working on the Hugen fleet or the Smith line, Prentice engineers got a weekly ration of meat and two days shore leave once a month. With money saved and shore leave, he could try to get a job on land, away from the constant din of engines and the confined spaces. He was 13 now, if his counting was right, so by the time he was 17, if he kept out of trouble, he could be on land. He could have a home. There, he'd be free to roam around in his off time, find people like him. Friends. His eyeglass started to fog up as the air began to chill. He should head back to six deck, ready for the klaxon and feed time. He scooped up Mackett and stood, stretching his stiff legs. People were beginning to congregate in Gradlon's central courtyard below. He saw a man move among them, drawing their attention as he went as if by some invisible force, and decided that it must be Lear, the man whose uncountable wealth funded this oasis. The group were gathered around the huge shielded black panel the jagged shard of salvaged tech that was rumoured to conjure pictures that moved. Jim peered around the deck. There were crew starting to filter back up from below already, but it was drawing dark. Nobody would see him if he kept still and waited. He found himself holding his breath. It was almost dark enough now, and there was a chill in the air. Mackett fidgeted impatiently in his grip, but Jim absent-mindedly stroked him calm. A robed techsmith appeared from a hatch near the panel, brandishing a small box with a long trailing wire. He pushed a button. There were murmurs of appreciation from below as the darkening courtyard burst into light. Jim gasped. Even from up here, he felt his bad eye ache at the power of the tech light. There were colours he'd never imagined, squares and rectangles of vibrant green and blue and red and white, and vivid in-between colours he didn't know the names for. He felt his eyes begin to sting and water, but he didn't blink. The pattern gave way to a picture, more detailed than he'd have thought possible of a huge, smiling woman surrounded by sunlit grass and trees. She was more beautiful than Jim had thought possible. Then the picture moved. Jim's mind swayed as it struggled to process what he was seeing. The woman laughed, then turned and ran, very slowly, into the panel, but somehow was still right there on its surface. She turned back to the crowd and an arm appeared holding a glass bottle toward her. The woman took the bottle and drank from it slowly, still smiling. The liquid looked dark, like engine oil, but somehow also cool and refreshing. The woman wiped her mouth and beamed at the crowd with pearl-white teeth. The screen turned to red, shot through with white, and the onlookers applauded gleefully. Jim blinked at last, his mind catching up, 
eager to see more. He swayed again, and this time fell forward, catching himself on the rusted railing. Gradlon began to drift slowly away and to the right. It took him a moment to process. The ship was moving. He'd stayed too long. He'd be caught. Rushing back down with all haste, Jim abandoned his former route in favour of the most direct path. Being seen wasn't the pressing problem now. If the engines were running, that meant he'd long missed the klaxon, and trouble was waiting for him down on six. He heard the roar of the great engines before he even made it below. By the time he'd reached three-deck, it was overpowering, and by the time he hit fifth-deck, it was all he could hear. The noise always made him nauseous at first, but after a day or two he'd adjust. When he reached the engine bay on six, the stash hooks and gear racks were already full, but the other boys were nowhere to be seen. Feed time. Jim cursed under his breath, barely able to hear his own voice above the engines. Dashing to his bunk hole, Jim replaced the tool roll and carefully dropped Mackett back into his nook. If he could get to the back of the line without being noticed, he might have a chance at slipping under the bosun's nose. He was probably distracted with all the cargo changes anyway. Jim dropped back to the deck, spun to return the damaged weld torch, and gasped involuntarily in shock. Sneaking about after Claxon. The bosun was leaning against the gear rack, half stooped as always down here. His bristled, sun-dried face contorted back and forth as he chewed a length of rubber medicable. He had to use hand sign, of course. It was far too loud now for speaking. You would simply shout yourself hoarse. Not sneaking. It took a long time to climb down today, Jim replied, tucking the broken torch under his arm to free his hands. Lie. Your tanks and regs were here already. The bosun's gestures were aggressive, cutting. He'd never been able to sign as effortlessly as those that learned young, like Jim and the other boys of Sixdeck, for whom there was no alternative amidst the roar of the engines. Nobody remembered who taught it to them first. Each generation of kids just passed it on to the next. My torch jammed. I stashed the tanks and went to find better light to fix it, Jim signed, brandishing the half-fixed torch as evidence. The bosun snatched the tool from him and inspected it, sniffing at the scorched plastic of the grip. He jabbed a finger at it, then at Jim, making the crude sign for questioning. This yours? Fixed now. No problem. I finished all my work. The bosun eyed him suspiciously, chewing the licks-infused cable that stained his teeth oily brown and scratching at the beginnings of a sunpox lesion on his neck. He thrust the torch back at Jim. Prove it, then. Taken aback, Jim stepped past the bosun and pulled the lines from his tanks, trying to stop his hands from trembling as he attached the torch, hoping the damaged gasket would hold out. The bosun's copper beater clanged against the gear rack, forcing Jim to turn back. Not here. There are strut welds to do on three. Port sides. 
braces three, two, twenty-eight. Jim couldn't quite keep the outrage from his face. That's a whole day's work. Yes, you are right. Perhaps we add it to your debt instead. He pulled his ledger from his vest pocket and fished a pencil from behind an ear. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Jim interrupted, waving his hands over the ledger. You said three to twenty-eight. The boatswain closed the ledger and snarled his oily brown smile. I said three to thirty-two. Jim swallowed the indignant anger that swelled in his throat, and hoisted his gear from the stash hook. Better to work now than pay for it later. Every day aboard is two days off your life. The old gasket held out for almost two hours. After that, it took all his focus to avoid the spouts of flame that would spit from the valve with no warning. By the time Jim dragged his tanks back to the gear rack, he was exhausted, dizzy with hunger, and wore a half dozen fresh burns across his forearms. It was full dark now. The cabin lights were doused for the night and would not be relit until the dawn klaxon in a few hours' time. Food. Ditching his gear against the rack, he felt his way in the dark to the ration room. The smell of boiled salt rice made his stomach growl like an angry dog, and he found himself groping around in the blackness, scooping mouthfuls of pot-stuck rice from the bottom of the great pans. It was cold, thick and burnt, but it was food, and after a while he felt his hands stop trembling. He drank some of the pot water and pocketed a small ball of the rice scrapings for later. He collapsed into his bunk without even the energy to stash his gear back into the rack. Only Mackett's squealing and scrabbling kept him from falling unconscious right where he dropped. Sorry, boy, he muttered, knowing full well the rat couldn't hear him over the unceasing roar of the engines. I didn't forget you just had some more work to do. Here. Fishing him from the small nook, Jim set Mackett down next to the ball of salt rice pulled the bunk curtain closed, and hung his eyepiece on its hook beside his pillow. He pulled a scrap of stolen medicable from his stash hook and placed it under his tongue. The licks would help with the pain. He closed his eyes. Laying there, motoring across the ocean while the old rat licked at his wounds, Jim Hatcher fell into a deep, dreamless sleep, utterly unaware of what awaited him with the dawn tide. Our voyage through the world of the Risen Tide continues in the next episode, which is already here on the Tales of the Risen Tide podcast. New chapters will be released on Monday and Thursday every week, so hit subscribe to stay up to date, or if you just can't wait, the full tale is available today on Audible, Spotify and more. If you'd rather read than listen, head over to talesoftherisentide.com or Amazon to grab yourself a hard copy or ebook. Thanks for listening.